The Staff and Graph Podcast. This is weird. My lock's been drilled, so I open the door and my steering wheel is missing. In looks or salad. You know what? You're trying very hard not to get sued. You can have all the talent in the world skating around, but if you don't have a goaltender, it does not matter. Team tidy business, baby. I mean, the off season, it's, it's here, Jesse. Like it is, it is in full swing now. Silly season is upon us, Michael. This is going to be a sillier season than normal. That is, well, yes. With the answer, first of all, yes, I do. Um, my theory, we are coming off, feel free to dispute this if you want, I'll fight you. The, the most entertaining, not cup final playoffs, start to finish in a really long time. I was going to ask you that question when we, when we broke down the cup final. Um, so my point being, though, is it's a nice segue into a, a monumental, record-breaking, groundbreaking, silly season. Yeah, I mean, what I love is that there are a lot of teams, it seems, out there that believe they're one piece away. There are a lot of teams out there that either believe they're one piece away or there are a lot of teams out there who desperately need to shed pieces in order to keep themselves together. Um, and I even think of that as like the lightning. We'll talk about the more of the lightning future, but like the lightning are going to have to make some moves just due to cap stuff. The Oilers, you know, there's a bunch of fervor around there with Puliarvi and some, and you know, and some of their eight free agents. But then there are a lot of teams out there that, that seem like, you know, we want to make a splash. There's one extra move we can make. There's one, this, that, the other. I'm, I'm, I have no, idea. I'm going to be at the draft, uh, which I'm where when I'm assuming is a lot of this is going to go down. So that'll be a lot of fun, but man, what a, what a wild ride we're about to embark upon. Uh, all the environment, that, that beautiful picture that you just painted for us. Do you know what that does, Michael? Do you know what does it, what does it do? It, it gives us contracts that lead us right into our next lockout. Isn't that exciting? I love it. <laughs> Isn't that exciting? People, Johnny Gaudreau sitting here right now, listening to this show, thinking, my God, I'm going to be the richest man. I'm the next Elon Musk, just based off of this free agency period that's about to arrive. You know, to your point, uh, so first of all, I think, yes, there are a lot of teams that are that think they're one piece away and aren't, and mm-hmm. they'll likely move heaven and earth to get that piece that potentially even, you know, not change the world at all. But but I think too, Mike, I think, I think there are some teams that are damned no matter what they do. They're yeah. screwed. You well, know, I'm not talking about the bottom mean? of uh, Pittsburgh. I mean, are the Penguins in a position? Okay. Because here's where we're at. Yeah, I want you to take me through because jo- Josh, um, Yoey, that's how you pronounce the name, right? Yeah, Yo? no, you got it. Yoey. Yoey? Okay, great. He, yeah. he wrote an article. I unfortunately wasn't able to capture it today because I have been almost in a coma the last two days. Um, so that's been a lot of fun. I got back from the cup final. Like, truly, I, we will get into that. Um, but Jesse, you were saying that it, like, there, is, there is some fervor. There is some, there, there is some discontent, possibly, bubbling in the, the steel city. The city that never sleeps, um, as people like to call it. <laughs> they call the, it that? Uh, the city I think of if love. People here sleep quite a bit. No. As, uh, as they call it, the windy city of Pittsburgh. Um, take it away. Um, Josh reporting uh, that it's sounding like it's unlikely that Evgeny Malkin is coming back to Pittsburgh. Okay, that's good. <laughs> it's good for who? Unlikely. Oh, unlikely. Oh, I thought Unli- he said likely. No, unlikely that Malkin really? returns. Yeah. So what is he like? Low balled potentially. Mike. Okay, because that's what we've been hearing from with Latang as well leading up to that, haven't we? Wasn't it like a pretty insulting contract offer he got? Wasn't it like well, f- three years, 15 mil or something? So, the, the, yeah, something like that. So, well, I don't know that we know that for sure. I don't know that that has ever been, you know, this is really, I think the difference between, um, Ron Hextall's way of business and Jim Rutherford's way of business is just Jim Rutherford will get on top of the building with a megaphone, a, lar- a comically large megaphone and yeah. announce his plans verbatim, you know, like, like, and just yeah. tell you what he's going to do. Uh, Hextall's a little bit more secretive. So I don't know that we know terms and numbers and stuff. Right. But uh, Burke and company and, and things are kind of like, you know, have indicated that you can't do one without the other. Right. So mm-hmm. there's this, need to be in communication with both because if you get close to a deal with one the numbers impact your potential to do a deal with another uh but you almost get the indication that it's like letang is actually the priority they've given this 
you know, potentially lowball deal to Malkin have not really been, you know, um, going back to the table much on it. Now, maybe that's because they're paralyzed by needing to get Latang done and not knowing, you know, until that contract signed, what the impact of the cap implication is to a potential offer they can make to Malkin or, or they've given them the best offer they're going to give them. In which case he's playing hockey somewhere else next year. Well, in uh, as I was saying, in my be a pro universe of mm. um, uh, uh, where I am a defenseman for the Vegas Golden Knights in NHL 22, um, I believe in 2023, uh, Malkin signs with the Capitals. So, wow, that's uh, yeah, that's pretty tough. Team. It's it's weird, right? Because like, first of all, do you think? Because you know, as I'm, I'm watching this from an outsider perspective, and you know, you Yinzers in there, you guys really like like these are two players that mean that have shaped your life really watching hockey up to this point i would say yeah, like you're the, the the current generation like for me especially like i basically can only remember after the 0506 lockout right i'm 26 years old i was like 10 i believe when that happened yeah 10 or 10 9 or 10 because the leafs last made the last won a playoff round when i was eight yeah. um and, and uh yeah and so like the the crosby era even before Malcolm, like the Crosby era is like the only thing I remember of the, of the Pittsburgh Penguins. And although you're a little older than me, like I'm, I'm assuming that's well, somewhat, a lot. Yeah. I was being nice. Come on. Was, but, no, uh, but you're right though. There's people that don't know anything else. They just don't, they don't like that's, me. that's their whole, right there. That's their whole uh, experience. Right. So, but, but you know, the, re- the reason I bring it up, Mike is like, to your point, like let's assume Ron Hextall brings both back. Mm-hmm. Right. Let's assume, and and by the way, uh, uh, I wrote an article about this on the Athletic. Like, if they sign Latang to like an eight million dollar deal, like they have fourteen million to round out Malkin, plus four other roster spots. It's not a lot of money, man. Like, good yeah. luck with that, right? So, if they do it, if they keep them both, uh, great. Okay, look, we have that on one hand. If they don't keep either and try to address the need through free agency. Uh, does that either outcome put them closer to a cup? I don't think so. And the thing is too, is like how much these two have in the tank. And also this is all, and as well, this is also coming after they were able to save, I would say like a couple like at least I would say a million dollars really on what a lot of people were expecting Brian Rust to get. Probably oh, yeah, if not more than that. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, like there's a, there's a lot of, like like e- even when they were able to sort of like swing like knock one their first domino sort of out of the park like that's a great deal based on what he's giving you what the market would have dictated you know like yeah term is a little tough but like you're not looking like you don't really care if you're them because you're trying to maximize the windows of these stars who are now i think are who could possibly be leaving like because then then i look at like dominoes too like let's say like latang okay if he leaves I, I, I don't think that really impacts the rest of the team. Like he's a very important player, but like, but if Malkin leaves or if both of them leave, like what, what does Crosby do? I would argue though. Well, no, it's, you're right. First of all. Right. So I don't think, I think he deserves more than to just tag along uh, on a rebuild for the end of his career. Not that mm-hmm. I think that FSG is interested in that, but um, I, I think, I think a lot of people in Pittsburgh might actually feel like Latang's the more important at this point. Really? They don't have an internal replacement for him. And he's right? more, he's, be, he's at least more productive at this point. And, and believe it or not, with all the health issues he's had historically, um, his service time is better than Malkin's. Doesn't, might not seem like that, but Malkin's missed significantly more time over the last three years. In fact, if you look at it, it, it Malkin's, uh, point totals, Mike age, yep. And last contract status, there are only t- really going back several years, really all the way back to like the last lockout. There are only 26 players uh, that meet his criteria going into a negotiation year like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, out of those 26, he has missed the most games of all of them. So service time plays a role here, I think. Um, He's banged up. Both these guys are yeah. banged up. It's tough to find. Uh, uh, so let's transition. Like it's tough to find. uh uh, you know, nobody in Pittsburgh agrees on what the Penguins should do there. Um, it's tough to find, I think, a situation where 100% of people agree on something. But we may mm. have had that in Detroit. Detroit uh, and Jeff Blazel. <laughs> I think if you took a poll and you sent it to 100% of the 
of the Detroit Red Wing fans in the world, mm-hmm. 99.99 ad nauseum percent of them would have been uh, excited to hear um, that they were moving on from him. This yes. Season. Um, and they have their new coach. Which is huge. So Derek Lalonde, he has succeeded at pretty much every single level of hockey. Uh, you know, he, I was looking even like back in his ECHL days. This is not his first um, sort of stint in the Red Wings organization. He was the head coach of their ECHL affiliate um, in 2014, 16. And he led them to, I think it was like a 95, no, it was a, yeah, it was a 95, like 35 and six record or something. He won coach of the year. They, they won the ECHL's version of the presence trophy in back-to-back years, you know, and then he joins the, the lightning. And in that time, you know, he joins them four years ago. And in yeah. that time they win a presence trophy, um, two Stanley cups and make a third and make, and, and make a third straight Stanley cup final. Um, while all these, while essentially undergoing insane roster turnover during the entire time, basically overturning all their depth players during the entire, like it's, it's remarkable. He seems, it's funny because I, he, I'm pretty sure he joined the, the, uh, uh, the lightning the year after Iserman left and That's then Iserman, yes. And then Iserman comes and picks him here. And, and he just seems, he seems like a good fit. Like he's, he, he's, he's had experience at all sorts of levels of hockey. Um, he's a first time NHL head coach, which I am a big fan of give, give people their first, uh, their first try as opposed to hiring John Tortorella again. No, um, and honestly, can his like early forties, Mike is not, no, it's, it's, young, young, oh, it's, right? it's like, yeah. you're, you're straight up baby in, in coaching terms. Oh yeah. Like yeah. coaches are usually in like their fit, their mid to late fifties. Like this yeah. guy, he's, he can at least somewhat relate to, to his players. I think better, which is probably why. Uh, which is probably what led to some success in Tampa. I mean, this is, this is a great, this seems like a great hire. He's it's a different challenge that he'll, he'll be a part of. He's never really been part of like a rebuild, you know, obviously the, the lightning, when he got hired, it was like, go, go, go. We got to win, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And they did um, twice actually. Uh, uh, but this, like, although they're still in a rebuild, they're starting like the, the Red Wings are starting to inch towards that, that period where, right like they need to start winning again. Like I, I was going to say that, like, I feel like you, the ask isn't go, you know, make the playoffs and get to a conference final in his first year, but it's incremental um, improvement. There you sure. go. Like, let's see a system. Like let's see some discipline, a style of play an identity, like Detroit hockey. Like, what is it going to mm-hmm. look like? Like let's lay the foundation. And I'll be frank, like, to be honest, you know, despite the talent that they had, um, unbelievable i mean like they've looked up and down that roster you've you know players that could do unbelievable things at the puck there were nights where you'd watch you know you'd watch them um and you'd think what in the hell is what in the hell is going on you know like, what, what how how are there this many odd man rushes like you know the, the fundamental basics of good hockey just seem to be completely devoid over there. And I don't want to like paddle on Jeff Blazo and like make it sound like, you know, he's the worst coach of all time, but like, these are things that happened. We have to acknowledge that and discuss them. Yeah. Um, so the, the, to your point though, right? Like the building blocks are there. You're not asking them to, to turn the world around overnight, but you know, uh, I, I, th- I, I think uh, he's brought in with the understanding of you know the, the leash is is you got a little bit of a leash right but like we we need tangible benchmarked improvement um uh, and and we'd like to get you know to to our goal sooner rather than later absolutely and well the thing is too is like what happened why why i think they really did sort of boot uh Blashill is because while like while there wasn't huge expectations for the Red Wings last year, I mean, clearly they were still part of the rebuild. Like last year was far worse than I think they ever expected them to be. Yeah. Like in, in what goaltending certainly hurt them. I mean, Nadelkovich went from a Calder, you know, candidate to a Calder nomination to a guy who couldn't stop a beach ball. And believe me, as someone who picked him up for a couple spot starts in fantasy, I know that all too well, mm. um, the 10 minute version. And, and then you have, uh, I was Thomas Grice as well, who couldn't stop anything. And like you said, like it was just lackadaisical. There were so many, just like, there were so many just mental lapses that this team made. Like think about how many times you would see a clip of some player doing something really dumb and it would be a Red Wings player. Even like, even like when, uh, when the jellyfish like swatted at, at that, at a puck and it just like, he ended up swatting it back into his own net or something. Like mm-hmm. it just, it just didn't seem like there was any direction. And 
I think that they could have finished sort of, I think they could have finished even like, you know, like maybe five, six points ahead of what they did last year. Um, and Blasio would, but like performed well, like at least looked like they tried, looked like they had a structure somewhat looked like they were playing for something. And I think Blasio probably would have stuck around as, as foolish as that would have been. Um, but what, what the, what the Red Wings did was they played just this purposeless, you know, sort of like nihilistic type of hockey, like just this, this, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it just like, they weren't playing for anything. It's just, just anti-hockey. Like, yeah. Like yeah, what's yeah. the point? Like apathetic is, is another way of saying it. Right. Um, and that's not like, what you but, want. But like, but like, I, I, I agree with you a hundred percent, but I would also make the argument that like having a shit system or not a lack of one, but like a lack of like distinct identifiable traits that make a coach good can present that can, your players can certainly look disinterested yes. when they're just not sure what they're supposed to be doing. That, no, that was so, my point yeah. is yeah, like yeah, the coach yeah, yeah. didn't, didn't like the coach is the shepherd. Right. And like, yeah, these the were, yeah. yeah, these were some talented sheep, but they were like frigging on the roof and, and you know, in the middle of the street and, and in, in, in different fields. On the roof. Yeah, exactly. How did it get up the there? I don't know, but it did. And so like, like it just seems like Lalonde, you know, he's played in this, ironclad system under under the best coach of the last you know last decade or so and john cooper you know who just like it just seems like the lightning churn out good stuff and i think that this would be you know clearly like with the way that eiserman and brisebois um ran the team they're very similar in in how they ran these two teams um or and how they ran the lightning and and then how how he's running the uh, the red wings it seems like Alon just kind of fits like there's a lot of there's a lot of things that tie him there a lot of things that work it kind of fits i like the hiring like i don't and, and this is coming from someone who look i don't know a ton about Derek Lalon going to be honest with you like i'm not here sitting here thinking uh, you know able to just sort of rattle off his uh his accomplishments off the top of my head but or I rattle off his systems and whatnot at the top of my head, but based on resume track record, all that. And the fact that he's younger and a first time head coach, which I think is important. I think these, these players need a fresh voice, someone who I think it's going to mean a lot to these young players too, to have a guy come in who just won back-to-back Stanley cups and went to a third straight cup final. And to be like, Hey kids, like, this is what I did to do this. This is like, let's, I know what it takes to be there. I've seen the grind. Like you're not putting in the grind. I'll show you how to put in the grind, you know, that kind of thing. So I really like it. All right, Mike, before we move on. Yes. we got to give a shout out to mm-hmm. Ferris State University. I believe they're the Bulldogs. 99% sure they're the Bulldogs. Okay. You might be saying, Jesse, what in the hell is Ferris State University? Well, it's a, a small college with a great hockey team. And if you go back, Mike, to 2003, before you were born, the 2003 Ferris State Bulldogs, mm-hmm. Derek Luan is the head coach. Mm-hmm. One of their top forwards, Chris Kunitz. Interesting. So that small, tiny little college, the 2003 class of Fair State, now produced two very important uh, members of NHL culture. Incredible, mm-hmm. Ferris State. Look at look yeah. at you go, Ferris State. There you go. Thanks to my Pierre Maguire moment. That um, is your Pierre Maguire. Chat. Yeah. What's their zodiac <laughs> sign? What you know, like what what time were they born? What's all that kind of stuff? It's crazy. All right. Jesse, there was a trade that was ha- that happened yesterday. Big yeah. trade. Kevin Fiala goes to the Los Angeles Kings from the Minnesota Wild for a 2022 first round pick that I believe is 19th overall and bro- prospect Brock Faber. He then immediately signs an eight year around $7.8 million per year deal um, with the Kings. I think this, I think, look, look. The Wild are in absolute hell with the cap. They have twelve. <laughs> yeah, point, yeah. They have over twelve point seven million dollars in dead cap space, just dedicated to Parise and Sutter. These are going to be these are their hell years from that buyout. Um, so they did. They just straight up couldn't afford to resign Fiala. So it's a shame. You know, twenty five year old guy. Twenty five. He's very old. good, by the way. Oh yeah, he he scored over a point per game last year. Thirty three with goals. Freddie Goodrow as his center. Exactly incredible. Hey, no disrespect, Goodrow. No, no, love the guy. Um. This seems like a for to be able like in in something of like we have to relinquish this player um, to get a first round pick and to get Brock Faber, um, who apparently they were very like the the Wild really like in terms of 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 a prospect. That's pretty great. Um, and then on on LA side, I mean, getting him until he's like keep having him locked down until he's like 32, 33, um, for seven point eight million dollars per year. 
if he can replicate that production playing alongside, I would say even better players, you know, like Angie Kopitar, perhaps Angie Kopitar, or even like Philip Deneau, you know, Quentin Byfield is going to be coming up. Like, like they got a lot of really, really exciting players in LA. LA seems to take the next step. Mike, I'm and look, Edmonton was really good. We know what happened with Mike Smith, like the, the absolutely brutal, right? Terrible. Yeah. Same story. I was but, okay. Hold on. I was I was watching every every goal the Avalanche scored um, through their cup run. Like there was a there's a video that just popped up. So it's like every Avalanche goal or whatever. And I was watching it, and they went to the Edmonton series. We didn't we didn't hammer Mike Smith enough for how bad he was. <laughs> we really didn't. We every let him off sing- the hook. Every single goal that got scored against him was one he should have stopped. Every single one. It was insane. But anyway, continue. <laughs> His goals above replacement was negative however many oh, it he was allowed like, in the postseason. It was like negative 13 or something. It was crazy. No, but but my point is, though, Mike, like that team, L.A., mm. who, you know, I think everybody had like that, their qualms about Edmonton and was like, I you got to prove it to me, right? Like, but but – that LA team, like I think, realistically, was like a severe underdog in that series and could have easily won it. Could have oh, absolutely! Won it. Like they pushed them. Sure, like this is the the type of player that puts you over that hump, um, and accelerates the rate at which you're rebuilding. I mean, this this is huge. Like, I just I I'm a big Fiala fan. I'm you know me like I love data. Mm-hmm. Underlying metrics, the way that he drives play, supports play. And, and carries the mail. That's what you, I mean, if you don't have that in 2022, what are you doing? Big trouble. And, and he's got it in spades. So it's just, you know, it's not just the points. That's great. Don't get me wrong. You want to have something like to, you know, a foundation to build that on, you know, points are whimsical. Uh, and, and the reason his don't ebb and flow and come and go is because everything else he does is so good mm-hmm. uh, that he puts himself in positions to constantly be scoring. So uh, congratulations, L.A. Um, enjoy. See, the thing I think what what good teams do or what smart management groups, I think, do is they is they take advantage of other teams misfortune. You know, 100 percent. Yeah. That's and why that's everybody it. should be trying to call Chuck Fletcher on the phone. Everyone uh, should be trying to <laughs> get the, it going here or the senators because they're looking to make a stupid move or, you know, like, uh, like all these players. But but like that's exactly what um, what good good management teams do. And that's exactly what. LA's management uh, team did like they they realized okay like Minnesota Wild they have this great asset they literally cannot no matter how many you know reshuffling moves they make they just can't find a way to afford to to resign this guy um the like a a 25 year old who just scored it over a point per game who racked up 30 goals you know with subpar players playing around him um that doesn't that doesn't come around on the open market very often if if at all you know and so for, for them to be able to go, all right, this is like our once in a lifetime opportunity. Yeah, sure. Who cares? We'll give up the 19th overall pick. We already, we, we just picked in the top five, like three years in a row. Who cares? Um, and, and a prospect uh, who's playing college hockey. Cool. And we get Kevin Fiala and then sign into a deal that with when the cap goes up in a couple of years, we'll begin. And, and when he even gets more into his prime, that'll look pretty good. I think it's a phenomenal move and it pushes, it, offic- it officially pushes them from a scrappy young team that you know that that it was playing with house money in the playoffs uh and has a bright future to a team that is now looking to win games currently i don't think they're fully in like win now mode i think they have a couple more moves to make before they hit that but like that pushes it they are in that next stage of of their trajectory comfortable playoff mode yes they're in their net they've they've hit the next level of their trajectory let's 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 transition because you brought up a very important point and one that is a very good segue for us and it's uh it's telegraphing Okay. Uh, talk about telegraphing. You talk about Minnesota. They're at a disadvantage because everybody knows they're in cap hell. Mm-hmm. Um, what about my namesake, my other Jesse up in Edmonton, Mike? Uh, oh, God. We're heating up up here. You know, asset management <laughs> is a term <laughs> no one in Edmonton has ever heard where of. Where do we go? But like this, I feel like the leverage conversation needs to come into play here because this is a player uh, who. You know, I think all every man, general manager in the National Hockey League knows Edmonton is looking to trade him, right? Which yep. completely neuters your ability to go out there and try to get some kind of comparable fair market uh, deal for him. This is an RFA, so uh, I gotta think. You know, we talk about silly season. This is a situation where um, you may actually 
have this player get taken for a reasonable cost. Like somebody may come in here and like get a good piece of business done and make Edmonton look really silly because all of a sudden next year he scores 34 goals and was like, holy shit, I didn't see this coming. What happened here? So I get, I, you know, a lot of people accuse me of, of hating the Oilers, you know, I've heard people have been saying this about you. And I just want to come on and say, that's absolutely right. I hate, (laughs) I hate this team. I hate their media. No, okay. No, no, no. Okay. That's fair. That's no, I hate their their media and I hate their management. I don't hate the team. I think they have a lot of great players. I love Zach Hyman. Great fans. Great, great fans. They call me unrepeatable names on Twitter almost every day, but love them. They're great. I love them. Yeah. They're great. They're passionate. They probably just learned those words in their grammar classes. And and I'm very (laughs) proud of them. Um, You know, it's great. It's a requirement to be on the rigs nowadays. You have to at least read a little bit, but um, like, I don't know that, that old, that quote of like, you know, doing the same thing over and over and over again, expecting different results. Like it's not insanity. It's not really the definition of sanity because Einstein never said it, but in this case, it really is because I don't understand how many times this godforsaken media media contingent has to is going to make the same mistake and not learn every like how many players are they going to run out of town in Edmonton because they didn't fit some sort of niche bullcrap that that Jim Matheson and Mark Spector you here's know, the can, test can I tell you what it is what does this player remind you of Ryan Smith yeah if how many- no cast them out exile them they must how many good players are they gonna cast out of town um because they don't remind them because they don't remind specifically two two people jim matheson and and mark specter of ryan smith and and then have it blow up in their face i mean it happened taylor hall and immediately won a won a a, a, you know a heart trophy you know (laughs) like immediately it happened to you know it happened trade is one for one Yes, happened to Jordan Eberle. It happened to dude. Even like freaking Andrew Cogliano just won a cup. Like it's yeah, sure did. you know, like it, like how many times are they going to cast a player out? And the funny thing is, like the one time that they, I would say they were wrong, or one time I would say they were right when it was Nail Nail Yakupov. That is going to that has given them the fuel to 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 justify it exactly. Yeah, but like. Every time, how many, even like Devin Dubnik, like, you know, like how many times is the media going to come together and kick a guy out of town? Ryan Strom, even like I could go on for days, man. And, and, and are they going to kick these guys out of town? These skilled players who, you know, who are maybe somewhat late bloomers who don't play this gritty, crazy style, um, but have incredible underlying numbers who, who always, seem to thrive somewhat despite like weird sort of circumstances they're put in. How many times are they going to cast these guys out and have them succeed somewhere else and not learn from it? And like, like I know, like Ryan Rashog was at the cup final. I know Mm -hmm. he, I know it because he was there. I sat beside him many times and, and I'm sure the Edmonton media was watching it too, because I'm sure they want to see what winning hockey is like, because they sure as hell haven't seen it in a long time. And like, did we not just see Valerie Nachushkin almost win a Conn Smythe? Mm-hmm. He's like Puliarvi is going to be the next Nachushkin maybe at this some rate. Sh- maybe, maybe a few shared skills there. There perhaps. might be, and there might perhaps. be a, might be a similar trajectory, like career trajectory to him. Valerie Nachushkin was bought out a couple of years ago, and mm-hmm. then he went to Colorado on a a a you know. A, like a sweetheart deal. And look what he did. He helped them win a cup. They don't win a cup without Valerie Nachushkin. How many times are you going to make the same mistake? How many times are you going to do the same argument? How many times are you going to do the same dance? It's tiring. That's why I say I hate this team because the discourse is always the same. I got to check you because there's a couple things where to correct here. Okay, okay. Okay. First of all, you love this team. Listen to you. doesn't sound like you hate them to me. They're a content farm. You love that. Oh, oh no. They love that. You love to hate them. I love to hate them. love I love the content that comes from them. They are never ending. It is like Bachelor in Paradise. It is incredible. Just an absolute train wreck from top to bottom. You can you get podcasts and articles and oh, I love it. Now I've heard you I've heard you say, oh, JP is talented. He is. Maybe hard done by by Edmonton, but there's one thing you didn't talk about. What? Okay. His favorite number is nine. And at home, he is a fish tank that has seven fish in it. That's a problem. 97. Can't do that. Got to go. 
Gotta get him out. Mm. We cha- even he changed his number. <laughs> too that's too close. To 97 is too close to too many other. It's too it's iconic. You're interfering with so many different things. You gotta get that number vibe right. The fish, seven fish in the tank, favorite numbers nine. Gotta go. You know what? You're right. You bring up a compelling point there, Jesse. I think that's exactly how you should how people should be building their teams. And who am I to say otherwise? Because Jim Mathis is in the Hall of Fame, which means that anyone can get in. So who knows? Maybe we can get in one. Maybe if yeah. I write a bunch of bullshit for 30 years, maybe too I'll get in. Too close to 99. You pick, I mean, it's already you're already spot on to 97. You're two numbers off of 99. What are you doing? Idiot. I don't know. It, it, you're you got to get them. less. If you had three less fish, we wouldn't be having this conversation. It's crazy. They're gonna make like they're gonna make what the, the same mistake again. What they're, do I know? What do I know? They're gonna shuttle. They're gonna they're gonna trade Puliarvi for like a second round pick, and Puliarvi is gonna go on and have a fantastic season next year. He's gonna be very good defensively. He's gonna put up some good 34 points. Thirty-four goals. Maybe not even that. Maybe maybe he even gets like twenty-eight. Maybe he gets like maybe he gets like twenty. 21 or whatever but even then don't you think that they would love to have a 21 goal winger alongside Connor mcdavid um <laughs> it's just like they make the same mistake every year it is this it is it's truly is like groundhog day like these dudes they have they have fishbowl like they you know they, they have goldfish memories they really do make it a point they have we're gonna talk about everything every oh we are show they have goldfish i memories. want to do it and, and you know it. what? And, and they're not even like, like, listen, I'm sure like every reporter, they try to, they try and be unbiased, but no matter what, it's human nature for some bias to, to sneak in. And, you know, I, I've become, you know, like I, I've, I've become it too. You know, when Nikita Zaitsev was a Toronto Maple Leaf, I was definitely not a huge fan of his, but you know, at the end of year press conference, I did the, and I, first of all, I was not the beat writer. Uh, of the Toronto Maple Leafs and then the end of your press conference the only tweet that I like I did not do this this thing where the only tweet that I tweeted from it was an answer about you know Jesse Pugliarvi and whether or not he was a a a, a member of the future or a piece for the future for the Oilers like that's what that's what Mark expected it's just so such a weenie anyway anyway the Blackhawks hired Luke Richardson but we got it we're gonna rapid fire some of these yeah we're already like yeah we're we're running too yeah um I think he's a great hire at for this stage of where they are. You know, I mean, they're not looking to win games right now. It's going to be tough. I think, you know, Richardson's always known to relate to players. Well, I think you'll keep the morale up pretty well in there during some dire losing stretches uh, of the season. Good for them. Good for them. I like that. I, I don't have anything to add there. Uh, you know, you said it when you talked about the state that the franchise is currently in, uh, you want someone who's going to develop your players. Uh, and it's not, you know, you don't want to keep it amicable and losing because you don't want that to be it's yes. not an acceptable part of the culture, but you have to be, there has to be growth and loss, right? Exactly. Oh, yeah. And I think that's what you get out of him. So agree. Yeah. And then we have Bruce Cassidy in Vegas. I think, wow, it's, a talk perfect, about- <laughs> I think it's a perfect fit. Like I think I know, it was great. The, those Bruins fans, man. Wow. Are they mad? Wow. I mean, are they mad? Well, I mean, the more that's coming out from behind the scenes, the more I think the more I start to think it was, it, it's def. first of all, it's definitely not on the coach, but the more I think um, that maybe they did need somewhat of a new voice. Like maybe they did, maybe like it was just sort of like, you know, he's a good coach, but his, the way that he operates maybe isn't in line with what the Bruins need or what's going to help them succeed. So I get that, but I think he's the perfect coach for Vegas. Yeah, I think no, that he's exactly what they need. I think he, they all need a kick in the ass, and I think he's going to give them one. They have that. Look at the makeup of that team. Look at who's on that roster, Mike. Uh, think about the way Boston traditionally played the game. Um, where yes, they're good defensively. Yes, they're they're going to you know be staunch there and take care of their neutral zone and in their own end first. Uh, but but damn it, if they couldn't attack off of that, right? Mm-hmm. And you think about some of the make again the makeup of that Vegas team some of the talent that you have over there that's perfectly capable uh, of playing the game that way. I, I think to your point, this is a perfect marriage. I expect that team uh, to be significantly better in their own end. Uh, and I expect that team uh, to, to really be a vice uh, when it comes to forechecking. Um, I, I, and I'm looking at Mark Stone um, and thinking, you know, wow, what, you know, I know he's not getting younger, but um what a great marriage that is particularly between player and coach. So he just seems like 
like you said, he just seems like he's he's the right he's the right guy for the job. He'll give them what they need, even from like you know, like he'll he, his demanding approach. I think is going to be worth it. But he also seems like a guy who can actually like relate to players and won't toss his goaltender under the bus or you know like like just piss off everyone like DeBoer did. Like I don't think anyone's going to be posting sword like sword pictures with Cassidy on them. I think it'll be fine. Um, all right. So the Stanley Cup final. Yeah, I want to. to um, well, I, so pumped for you, dude. Like, really cool. It was nice, I think, to uh, from my. So I, <laughs> we, full disclosure, like Mike and I had every intention on recording a show together while he was traveling, and mm-hmm. um, my daughter got sick, and his jet lag and the stress of traveling across the country. They couldn't have. I mean, you're only a couple options, Mike, to make your distance next year further than what it was <laughs> this year. No, seriously, <laughs> I. Well, <laughs> Also, I'm thinking too is like I think the reason I, I figured out the reason why Gary Bettman doesn't want the Canadian team to win the cup. Um, and it's because he doesn't want it's to help out reporters who would have to otherwise go through customs like eight eight times if the series went seven games. Like it that's that's what I had to do. Or, or not, no, like I had to go through customs twice, thankfully. But like it just we'll get into the travel after we talk about because I have stories, but we'll get into the travel after we talk about, um, I would say the most dominant cup run we've seen in one, at least one of the most dominant cup runs we've seen in NHL history by the abs here. You know, they never trailed in a series. Um, they, wow, that's right. I didn't realize that they were never on the brink of elimination. No. Um, they had two series sweeps four combined losses, Outscored opponents like crazy. Their power play operated at like 35%. They deployed Jack Johnson 10 minutes a night. It didn't make a difference, dude. Oh, I wrote a big old feature about him. It was great. Yeah, I mean, it, like it, he, he, yeah, fit in probably there better than he has anywhere since prior to, you know, Columbus. Uh, that, you know, everybody kept talking before the series, Mike, about, you know, Tampa and their ability to shut things down defensively and still, you know, counterpunch you and, how they were so good defensively. And, you know, Vasilevsky is obviously one of the best goalies of our generation. Didn't matter, man. Like, like let, let it be known that the adage of defense, like, like a, I'll, I'll take a good defense over a good offense. I don't think that's applicable in today's NHL anymore. No, like I think De- the way defense that, yeah. does not win championships anymore. No, it's, it's yeah. You've got to be able to forecheck um, the abs, which is suffocating, dude. You talked about Nachushkin, like, up tempo like tampa's trying to break the puck out you know innocuous you know breakout situations where all of a sudden he come barreling in 150 miles an hour like a wrecking ball and just single-handedly break up a, a, a you know a, in a one-on-two situation an entire breakout opportunity by himself uh the whole team played like that though you know and that's like i think the best thing you could say about and i'll let you talk about jared bedner because i know you were probably Mm-hmm. Um, get a whole nother perspective on him. But I think the, the best thing you could say about him is like, he let the horses run, man. Like that's, you know, talk about like wrecking. And then there's a debate, like, you know, is it the Avs players? Was it Bednar? I think he understood what that team needed, mm-hmm. right? Like what kind of style they needed and what he needed to do to, to again, like you said earlier, to shepherd them. Um, and I think he found the right style of play for that roster. Um, and it was intimidating. It was up-tempo. It was hard to deal with, uh, and I think that's that's sometimes the best compliment you could give a coach, Mike, is just having the, the that pulse and knowing, you know, what what is the right pace for my team. I think you're 100 right. I think he understood exactly, you know, how like exactly how each of his pieces was to be best played. Um, like I think he just understood, you know, where to deploy all of his players, and yet, and to be fair, he had an incredibly deep lineup. Like mm-hmm. like, it, and it, it would have even been more deep if they had Sam Girard. Um, but just what, like, what a performance I I, I want to say, like, just that was like the, the abs in this Stanley Cup final, like completed, or, or I guess put on the best four check I've ever seen in hockey. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. They, that was like, there were moments clinical, especially in game two, the seven, nothing game two victory where, I mean, these, these are the back-to-back champs we're talking mm-hmm. about here and the avalanche, like they beat the hell out of them in their four check. They hemmed them in their own zone. They didn't let them get anything set up. There was a point where like they just, it felt like they played the whole, like a whole period 
in the offensive zone. They, their cycle was incredible. They would, they would just, they, they would, they would have cycle after cycle after cycle. One guy would go off for a change. Another guy would come in cycle. Wouldn't be broken. <laughs> Keep a possession of the puck. Yeah. If they had, if they had like, if they had a better goalie, that would be, I, I was just going to say that <laughs> by no means, but, but like, and, and to your point, like with Bednar, he was so chill, like the entire time. Like, I don't think his blood pressure raised at all. And I talked to him more times than I ever want to talk to another human being during, during that series. And like, he was just so chill. He never, no matter what happened, whether it was a loss, whether it was a win, whether they blew a team out, whether they lost in, you know, whether they got, they, they were unable to close out the series and lose, you know, and lost on home nice. There was no, you never sensed that he was uneasy. You never sensed that he was panicking or he got too high or too low. He was just completely even keeled. He talked in the same tone of voice. The only time. Okay, I ever... So Mike, not to interrupt you, not to interrupt you, but you saw John Cooper. Yes. At oh, multiple yeah. points in this playoff. Oh, and we're going to, there's a very interesting point that I saw on that. But, but I'm saying like high and low, right? Oh like, yeah, yeah. But this oh, yeah. year, but like everything you're saying about Bednar now, like could, is the antithesis true from your perspective of Cooper. Oh like, yeah. Was, like that rat, like that tangible rattle almost, you know what I mean? I don't even know. I don't even want to say it was a rattle. Like, so the biggest thing that happened was, um, so it's after it's after game four, like right after game four, Okay. Nazem Kadri scores that OT winner. Right. And Cooper comes in. We have to wait a long time. I remember it being like, he's taking a long time to come in here. Um, so Cooper comes in, he sits down. He kind of looks a bit sort of like, shell shocked i want to say maybe not maybe not shell shocked but he looks weird sits down he gets asked one question it's like how did you feel about the game and he pauses for like 30 seconds like ask me about the game what did you think about your performance tonight in a nutshell you know like that's how it started <laughs> Like it was, it was that it was, a, it, was a, it was the most pregnant of pauses that pause was pregnant with like the octo mom babies like it was crazy and and then he goes on this like two minute like like eulogy almost about how much he loves his players and he loves the league and he's heartbroken for his players because of the end result um of that winner but he won't tell us what's wrong with it he won't tell us he goes you know you'll see when you look back at it you'll see tomorrow you know and then he's like and then after this two minute literally like monologue it was like an audition almost mm. it, and it, there was a weird sense of like finality to it because like you're not it's not done yeah you're losing three one and you're going on the road but like you're talking like the series is over right it's very weird from a guy who you know who hasn't lost a series in two years to just be so like comfortable with defeat and so i'm sitting next to to steven ellis and we're looking at the game sheet and he put and he and he shows me he goes hey the game sheet says there were six ab skaters on the ice when Kadri's goal went in and I go really and I look at it and you know aside from the the goalie there's six it says there's six ab skaters on the ice so I take a picture of that I circle it tweet it out and tweet blows up goes crazy in real time people are like coming over to me to ask if I if they can you know they can use my picture and all that kind of stuff um and then immediately go on the website. They've changed it. They've changed it to only five players on there. But I go, oh. okay, I'm, because I was thinking, like, was it offside? Because it was, it was thing on the rush. Like, what's Cooper not like about this goal? And you look at it. And if you, and if you really do look at it, yeah, it looks like there were too many men on the ice at the time. Um, but it also, what this sort of boiled down, down to me as, um, is that the Lightning, and I always hate to label teams this way or, or, or to, la- like, sort of, I guess lay this criticism on teams because it's, it's a very like drunk guy in a bar is upset kind of criticism. I don't want to be equated, but they, the, the, the lightning whined all series long. No, 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 no. Stop. Don't hate having to say that. Okay. Uh, and I'll tell you, I'll tell you like n- not to derail your story again here, but like, no, no, tell me you're, why. You, tell me you're why. right. You're right. Tell me and why. The, 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 like my personal experience with this, like my universal truth about it is going back to 2015 yeah. Uh, the Penguins played the Sharks and Logan Couture accused Sidney Crosby of cheating. Do you remember that? <laughs> I don't. Game four of that series, Connor Sherry scored in overtime uh, to win, and he off a faceoff. And it was okay. He Crosby sat before the uh, the faceoff and directed traffic, told mm-hmm. everybody where to go and what to do. Won the draw. Sherry suits deflection goal game. Okay. Night. 
And after the game was over, Logan Couture said, uh, well, it's easy to win draws like that when you're cheating. And it's been going on all series, and he gets away with it because he's Sidney Crosby. And I went back and I took a video. Same, I had the same experience you did. Mm-hmm. I took a video of the faceoff in overtime, and I was like, somebody's got to explain where the cheating is to me. Because they were at home, and he put his stick down second. So he literally conceded control of the dot <laughs> yeah. to Logan Couture. And still got accused of cheating. So the point point being, that stuff happens. It is very, mm-hmm. very real. And when you – I think anyone uh, is at like the mercy of someone else and is just getting beat up and there's nothing you can do about it, you're going to – I think the natural first instinct is to search for something, right? Yes. To find something that, that you can point to and say we lost because of this, which you know is ignoring the fact that the other team completely dominated you know, most <laughs> – game or whatever yeah. the situation but no i all that is to say like i 100 percent agree with you i think that there's you could go all the way back and this is way before you were born but mike milbury oh, who God. everybody loves to poop on mike milbury so i'll I take do. a second to do it when he was head coach <laughs> of the bruins right uh the bruins and penguins were playing uh in the lemieux era and the penguins were you know taking it to boston Alf Samuelson hurt Cam Neely in the series, and mike milbury went off the deep end absolutely lost it called up a bunch of goons with no talent and the Penguins just ran rough shot over because they were trash. They were trash players, third and fourth line grinders that were trying to, you know, punch Mario Lemieux in the head. And he was just dangling the shit out of mm-hmm. them, you know? So th- you could go all the way back to the nineties and find examples of that happening. Um, it's, I just think it's a very real thing. Oh, and, and it was real in the series. Yeah. It was like, uh, if you, even if you looked at the benches, Cooper was always complaining, always asking for clarification, always doing this. And Bednar was pretty chill. He never yelled. And, and to be and in game five, I don't think I've ever seen a group of officials try and hand a game to a certain team more than that. And I, and I really hesitate to, to ever, cause my credit, I've been a big criticism, a big um, criticizer or critic of the, of the refs. I think that they've been terrible this season. They even sucked. They sucked. They're terrible. Um, but I rarely, I rarely say they're biased um, or biased because I think that they are just programmed to ruin the game by the NHL. Like, I think that that's just, they're just doing what they're told. They're just yep. doing it in a very bad way. Um, but game five, they like, again, I'm, I'm saying allegedly because I don't have any proof, but like from what air I quotes. saw, air quotes, quotes, they tried, they, they tried and succeeded to hand that game to the Tampa Bay lightning. I have yeah. never seen anything like it. And so for John, yeah, and then Cooper, the very next game, like nobody called it a goddamn thing. There's no, like it was a law. It was a lawless game. And then I want to, I want to point out Tampa fans too. I think I'm, I'm a big fan of a good ref. You suck chant. Mm. I think that it shows them who is boss. I think that refs need to be criticized more. I think they're protected. Sometimes um, it can even buy you that makeup call. You exactly. know, if you're a good home crowd, putting the pressure on the officials. Exactly. I've seen it happen before. And the lightning, the lightning's crowd is way too quick on the draw with the refuse suck chance. They will have one like minor little thing, not go their way and proceed to chant refuse suck. No, no, it's got to be earned. It's got to be earned. You can't, you can't have like one guy, you know, rub a guy out after a play, maybe like four seconds after, after the puck leaves instead of three, which is now not in the legal zone. And, and then you go refuse suck. No, no, no. It has to be like egregious. It has to be consistent. The the Avs fans they knew when to do it because they were getting jobbed all game, and it was sort of the buildup of like, "What are you doing? Like, ref, you suck!" Like that kind of thing. Lightning fans, it was like, "What? You're not giving us the game, ref? You suck! You suck, ref!" Like that kind of thing. You know, much more emo. Exactly. It's like, ref, you suck, man. Ugh. And. Like the lightning, they wind the entire series. And and you can see it in there. You see in the coaching, you can see in the players. Nikita Kucherov had a straight up tantrum in the last five minutes of or last five Pat seconds Maroon. of the game. No, but no, but Nikita, do you see what Nikita Kucherov did? Yeah. After that icing, he just gave up on the play with like 10 seconds left in the game and started Controller throwing disconnected. His, yeah, exactly. Started throwing his gloves and stick into the bench. And all. it was, it was ridiculous. Um, yeah. I, the abs, the abs were the better team in pretty much every aspect other than goaltending Vasilevsky was incredible mm-hmm. um and they win the cup now and I think that's very important but one thing I'm really interested in to talk about quick because we are you know we, we've been doing this for a while but the future of the lightning because 
we've already heard that they're they might be working with Ryan McDonough to find a trade partner for him where he'd like to go because of caps because of cap reasons. Um, so that's one big piece that they might have to sell off. It's going to be very interesting to see whether or not they can come. I mean, other than that, like they have a lot of guys who are already signed, you know, like, uh, do you think they can maybe even do this again next year? Yeah. I was just going to say that. Like, I, I really don't, I really don't think that the landscape for them is going to change in drastic enough faction uh, that they're just all of a sudden, you know, not going to be around anymore. Um, yeah. Jumping to your point, this team's here to stay. They have some maneuvering to do. Well, they have um, they have Andre Pilat and Nick and Nick Paul coming up as UFAs. Those were two. Those were arguably their two best forwards in the Stanley Cup final. I would say Nick Paul was a force to be reckoned with. He was incredible. He's going to make a lot of money this offseason. Yeah, but they they're they're in the negative going into next year. So they've mm-hmm. got to clear they got to clear money. Yeah, they always and put somebody on long term injured reserve, Mike. Well, they have uh, Brent Seabrook already there. Yeah, that's true. That's right. Yeah. They have a six point eight seven five million dollars already there. Yeah. Um, and then they also will. I mean, they have and they they have guys that are they're coming up. Like even if you if you, you let Ryan McDonough go, then you have. They also probably want to resign Jan Ruda, maybe. But like if you let Ryan McDonough go, Cal Foot was a scratch for most of the, most of the series. You can put him in there. Eric Cernak is evolving into a very good player. Wait, um, we got to we, we have to mention this. We have to mention this okay. before before we end. We talked about this uh, uh, one of the first shows we were together. Mike, we talked about how we love to good curse. Mm-hmm. Corey Perry. Oh, big curse here. Okay, I never root for like I I really don't want to root for like the failure of some people. Like I think that's just like a petty thing to do or whatever. But like man, he he was on his Corey Perry bullshit all series, and I'm not I'm not. I'm not devastated to see him not win a cup, you know? Yeah, but this is this is now he went one step further than than Hosa. Yeah, three straight. Yeah. He and the Hosa. And he did it by by he did it he did the Hosa by by signing with the team that beat him. Um last year he didn't lose to the same team that he left I mean the next year though. No, like but he joined forces with the yeah. He did he pulled a Kevin Durant. Slept with the enemy. Yeah. Um and I would say Corey Perry, I think it was game two. He went, he lost his mind. He, he showed the, like, there's a, there's a double-edged sword with Corey Perry where when he's, when he's towing the line, his sort of like crash bang pest, but offensive like capabilities are, are, are going to be such a, just sort of like rare, sweet combination for you. But if he steps a toe over that line, I can really hurt a team. And he jumped over it and he tried to fight the goalie like three times. And then he, and, and then he, he tackled a guy and put a UFC finishing move on him in the crease. And I can't remember who exactly it was. He was tussling. I don't him. remember either. But then he put his whole body weight on the guy's ankle. He put him in a rear naked choke and then like did a reversed rear guard. And then when he was trying yeah. to get up, he put his full body weight on the guy's ankle to help himself up. Like it was just like a, just a head move. Um, so I'm not necessarily uh, to, you sad about it. No, I in understand. Terms- I just love a curse. That's all. Yes. Oh, I do too. All right. In terms of the, the Avs future, I mean, yeah, look, they have a lot of guys coming up. Like they have, like they, they, hold on, I'm pulling up their cap friendly right now. The Avs, they have a lot of, they have a lot of players they need to, to re-sign. Like they, you know, Lekkonen's an RFA. So they'll, they'll, they have team control of him. They'll re-sign him. But like Andre Burakoski, Andrew Cogliano, Darren Helm, who actually had a good year this year. Like Nazem Kadri, Valerie Nichushkin, Nico Sturm. Um, Jack Johnson, I don't think he'll, he'll be back, but like Josh Manson and then Darcy Kemper, they have a lot of pieces from that team that they need to, that they need to resign essentially. And it's like a little over of a quarter of a million dollars. Yeah. They have 25.6 million in cap space. That's not enough to resign all these guys. No, 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 it's not. No, not without, you know, figuring things out. Um, I think they'll, else. they'll move heaven and earth to try and keep Nachushkin. That just seemed like such a perfect fit. And he's such a valuable piece. Um, Kadri will be an interesting one. I think someone will obviously pay him. I think Nachushkin's going to be really hard. Nachushkin's going to be hard because he's going to command like a lot of money. Like I can see Nachushkin making like upwards of six this year. Uh, yeah. I, I I wouldn't even stop there. Mike. Cause like he's, one seven? Of the player- yeah, well, he's one of the players that I'm thinking of when I talk about like silly season, like, yeah. He's right, like primo silly season guy. Like, like the Flyers are gonna give him a crap ton of money. That'd be awesome. It's and he's and he's extremely good. Like they have a lot of really interesting players. But then you look at it and you go, all right, well we have a core of 
Rantanen, Landeskog, McKinnon, um, like even a guy like Newhook who's coming up. Who's like, going to be very good, by the way. Comfort played really, really well. Logan O'Connor even played really, really well. And then you have then then you also have Kale McCarr, Samuel Gerrard, Devin Taves, and Bowen Byram all under contract. Um, moving forward, McCarr is under contract till 2026, 27. Uh, Gerard's under contract until that long too. Devin Taves under contract till 2023-24. You know, Byron's still on his ELC. Like that, that is an incredible core of, of players to build around. And you could be potentially even re-sign a guy like Manson, depending on what he wants. It, it, it's great. Having been there and seen it in person, do you because I, I I said it having watched it on TV. Um, Kale McCarr is the best defenseman I've ever seen. Yeah. I, he's one of the best okay. players in the league. The things I've never seen, I've never seen defenseman do what he's done. Yeah. It, it's, Paul, you have to go back to like Paul coffee. No, seriously. Like, like, like it, it, I hate to be like an eye test guy, but like, dude, it hits different when you watch him in person. It really does. No, I believe that he is the way, the way he uses like lateral movement, mm-hmm. the way he is able to get out of every dude, there was a, he gets out of every single like sticky situation he ever gets in. Like he's one of those players that look, he can be dangerous because even if he dangles himself into, into some high danger situation that, that, you know, looks pretty bad, he finds a way to, to squeak out of yeah, it. Sure. There was, yeah. there was mobility. There was a time in game two where he was getting hounded. I think it was by, um, by Belmar. I think it was by Belmar. He was getting hounded in his own. Like it looked like in any other defense when he would have been, he would have been, picked because he was getting sort of like shadowed for like 10 minutes on his own in the own in the zone trying to get out and while while keeping possession of the puck he managed to body check belmar off of him and then move it up for a scoring chance 180 feet away it was it was absolutely remarkable he is he is a transcendent hockey player like he is he is when it comes to defensemen he is a generational transcendent defenseman like he is Great. he is one of the most valuable pieces that a team could possibly build around like if you were everyone always says all right you can choose one piece to build your like you know one piece to have in there and then you build your rest of your team around like what is it i would like kale mccarr is up there with like a mcdavid or with a matthew sure no mike like how many times and i don't know the answer to this but it, it's slim how many times has somebody won the norse and the con smite in the same year I, I don't know, but it can't I, be that many. I wonder if this is, I would bet in his career, this is not going to be the last time he does it either. Oh, Jesus. Think about that. No, like That's I think terrifying. like he's, That's terrifying. he's 23 and he just it's did disgusting. this. It's he's, disgusting. He has more levels to hit. This is not as good as he's no, going to be. That's the terrifying part about it is he's not even, this isn't even like his final form. <laughs> and then, and then not, a lot, not enough people. I know we, I know he's become like an analytics darling, but not enough people give Devin Taves enough credit too. He's no, incredible. Right. And the fact yeah. that he was, he was traded for two second round picks should be they should that should that's make Will Amarello turn in his his two GM of the year awards. Yeah, it's it's that's the kind of trade that should get someone. He should fired. have to he should have to give up the chalice that's granted him at maternal life. Absolutely. I'm sorry, the holy he should return the holy grail. Absolutely. <laughs> um. All right. Before we head out, yeah, I wanna I wanna take you through my one, or my my two travel stories. I got it. Because. I'm not sure if you've been on social media or seen it around or anything, but like traveling by air these days is hell. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially you want to when, get through that security line, man, you better be there early. The thing is, is we never had problems with security lines. We never did. It was never even at Pearson, which is apparently the crazy, like the, which is in Toronto, the craziest, airport there is out there it was never that bad that was always like security was all because and we never checked we never checked bags unless we had to because american airlines was extremely inconsistent sometimes they would make steven check his bag sometimes they wouldn't because we always had connecting flights but it was it was never um that was never the problem it was the delays and the cancellations and so what happened was we're flying from tampa back to denver after game four and wake up the next day um, the owner of the hockey news, Graham Roos, and he drives us from Tampa to Orlando because it's, it's a better airport to get out of apparently. So we go there um, and we hop on our, we hop on our flight. It's pretty much on time. We're going, all right, this is great. Yay. Land and, and our, and our, our connecting flights in Charlotte. So we land mm-hmm. in Charlotte and we have, I, I think it was about a two hour layover before we go to our next flight. So we're like, okay, you know, let's, let's get some food. It'll be fine. We go, we get some food right before I'm about to get some food. I look at my phone. American Airlines has canceled our flight. Mm. And I go, oh, that's not good. We're kind of stranded in Charlotte. I don't know what to do. 
And the next and the only flight that we see from Charlotte to Denver out is on Saturday, which well, is three days from then. Yeah. So that's not good. Um, so we call we call Graham. He tries to work some magic in the meantime. We're we're um we're, we're eating some food or whatever, and then he goes, "All right, like they just canceled three hundred flights, <laughs> like American Airlines. They just canceled three hundred flights. So three hundred. We are going to. So it looked like guys. I don't know if there's we're any other way. <laughs> yeah, I know. He's like, I don't know if there's any any other way to do it, but like we're gonna have to fly you guys back to Tampa, uh, and just kind of pray that there's a game six, um because it just doesn't seem like we're getting Denver. So we go, oh, okay. So that the next flight back to Tampa was at one 40 in the morning. Okay. At this point it's like 7 PM. And so we go, oh, that sucks, but whatever. So we wait, we wait, we wait about an hour before that flight's going to take off. It gets canceled. And we go, oh, so now we're really stranded in Charlotte, North Carolina. In the airport. And then he goes, and then, and then we get a message from, uh, uh, from Graham going, you know, I, I landed a miracle. We're going to like, I found like the one flight, that's going uh, to Denver that hasn't been canceled. It is you fly to Atlanta and then from Atlanta to Denver on a Southwest airline um, at five 50 in the morning. So, okay. So we fly at that point, it's like midnight. We hop on a plane. I think at like 1230, we go from uh, Charlotte to Atlanta and there's literally no point in us getting a hotel room because we have to be out there right away. And we don't want to go through security again, ever. So we sleep on the floor of the airport. This would be one of three airport floors we will sleep on in our trip. Um, that's, too, that's too too many. And the and, and the thing is, like the Atlanta I'll give airport. You one like oh yeah. oh yeah, Atlanta airport's a different experience if, for people that have never been there. Yeah, the Atlanta airport's huge, but it also is like it has the architecture where it doesn't let you lie down on anything, so yeah. it's only the floor. So we get into Southwest flight. I'm not sure if it's if if you know what South Southwest West flights are like. Um, but they don't have assigned seats. Correct. So it's, it's boarding basically, free for all. Yeah. So it's Lord of the Flies, basically. When we get my in wife there. loves the Southwest boarding style. I hate. I it. can't stand it. I, I can't it. stand it. I hate it so much. Yeah. Um, we get there. So we get to Denver. We fly at five fifty a.m. We get to Denver at about nine. We go to the hotel room. Um, we drop our stuff off. We go to the rink. Um, we work for the rest of the day. We we cover the game. We do all that stuff. Keep in mind, we've slept maybe like three. I haven't slept at all because I couldn't sleep on this this floor the whole time. So I haven't slept in about in over 24 hours at this point. Um, uh, then we go back to the hotel room. Our next flight is scheduled to leave at five or no, yeah, 530 in the morning the next day to go back to uh, to Tampa. Um, so which is which is a connecting flight between Tampa and Chicago. Like mm-hmm. so we were supposed to fly to Chicago first. So we leave. So we go back, we get back to our hotel room at about midnight from the game after doing everything. I wrote like three stories that night, did a whole like, you know, like, like video sort of like podcast about it, all that kind of stuff. It's crazy. Then, then we go back to the hotel room. We sleep for two hours. We get up, we Uber to the airport. We, we, and, and Jared, our social media guy goes back home to Toronto. We, Steve and I, we fly to Chicago. And then that flight that we go, that we're about to go on gets delayed eight times. Not, not once. Not twice, eight. So what was the total amount of time that you spent delayed? I For that, that flight. For that flight, yeah. For that flight, I, we got to, we got, we landed in Chicago at about 8.39 and we got on the plane to go home at about 9 p.m. It's about it. 12 hours. And, yeah. and it was supposed to take off at 1.40 that, that afternoon. Um, on top, and keep in mind, I haven't slept at all. At that point, I tried to sleep on the Chicago um, airport floor again at O'Hare didn't work. Um, and then uh, and the reason why is because they gave our plane to another flight that was having maintenance issues, which means they had to get another plane. And they didn't realize that um, the flight crew of that plane had worked past its legal limit if they were to do our flight. So they had to wake up another flight that thought they were done for the day and have them come all the way to our gate. Like it was, and the thing is, is that every single second, like ev- every time you even get close to the new departure time, they would bump it back and bump it back and bump yeah. it back. It was enough to drive you crazy. And then even on our flight back, um, there was crazier stuff. But like, I would not recommend flying anywhere if you can avoid it. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you. No, 100%. So yeah. please don't. But anyway, that was, that was my experience. You made it back I, in one piece. I would and, not trade uh, it for the world. 
you probably, did a hell of a job. Your coverage was docked. You wouldn't have known that you went through all that. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate job well that. Yeah. I am so unbelievably tired. Um, but not not too tired to do a podcast, my good pal Jesse. So, as always, we'll be back next week. It'll be great. Uh, silly season will be even more in full yeah, swing. Draft and free agency talk to to parse through. Exactly. All right, Jesse. You can find his work on the athletic. You can find this obviously on the hockey news. And we will uh, we'll see you next week.